Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. 5850. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, 10 minutes after 10 o'clock as hour number two gets underway on this Monday, the 22nd morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to be talking with Dr. Beverly Goldstein. She is uh, the congressional candidate for the Republican side running against Marsha Fudge in District 11. Marsha Fudge is an absolutely AWOL politician. She does nothing nothing, zero things for the people in her community who continue to suffer with one of the worst uh, rates of poverty, the worst rates of crime, the worst rates of illiteracy uh, in the state of Ohio and really beyond. It is just a mess. She does nothing for them. Dr. Beverly Goldstein has legitimate, real-world solutions and opportunities for the people of District 11 if they will only give her the chance. And we're going to give her a chance to explain all of that coming up at about 1035. For now, though, I want to get on, I'm going to go to your phone calls in a second, but let me, I'm going to hit you with this one too. Just more insanity from the left. They, they're, they're losing their minds over, well, science. <laughs> I just, I always get a kick out of this. Because, you know, the left wants to continue to tell the right that they are anti-science. They call them flat earthers and mock them for, uh, for not being on board with science, uh, when it comes to, uh, climate change, which of course used to be called global cooling, which then became global warming. And then it became, daggone it, we have no idea if it's going to get hot or cold, but it's just changing all the time. So it's got to be something. It's climate change. And despite all kinds of varying, um, studies showing different, uh, results, you know, they bury the results of, of the studies that, uh, that do not go along with their narrative and their agenda of climate change. And I don't want to get too deep into the woods there, but the point is, you know, the story by now, they essentially ostracize from the scientific community any scientists that do not agree with their narrative. 
But they still call the Republicans or conservatives who call climate change what it is, which is essentially uh, something we cannot control. It is not man-made. It is not man-controlled. Uh, the planet has warmed and frozen throughout its existence uh, without man having anything to do with it. But uh, they call us anti-science for that point of view. And yet when it comes to one of the most basic elements of science, human biology, uh, they want to <laughs> ignore it. Um, New York Times yesterday ran this gem headline, Transgender Could Be Defined Out of Existence Under Trump Administration. Gasp! Holy cow, the Trump administration is going to do what? They're, they're going to they're, they're redefine sex or, or, or uh, gender to fit some political agenda? They're going to deny that transgenders exist? Oh my goodness! No, they're just going to actually not redefine sex. They're going to remind everybody about the actual definition of sex. Sex means a person's status. As male or female, based on immutable, the key word there is immutable biological traits, identifiable by or before birth. That's all the Trump administration is doing. The Department of Health and Human Services is spearheading an effort to establish a legal definition of sex under Title IX, the federal civil rights law that bans gender discrimination in education programs that receive government financial assistance. The New York Times is just beside itself on this. The department argued in its memo that key government agencies needed to adopt an explicit and uniform definition of gender as determined on a biological basis that is clear, grounded in science, objective, and administrable. The, the agency's proposed definition would define sex as either male or female, unchangeable. Exactly. Thank you. Correct, New York Times. You don't go from XX to XY. You don't go from XY to XX. It's not changeable. Unless you tamper with God and try to provide surgeries. Unchangeable and determined by the genitals that a person, not just genitals, Chromosomes. Chrome, it's called S-C-I-E-N-C-E, science. I thought you guys loved science. Sex means a person's status as male or female based on immutable biological traits identifiable by or before birth, the department proposed in its memo, which was drafted and has been uh, circulating since spring. The sex listed on one's birth certificate as originally issued shall constitute definitive proof of a person's sex unless rebutted by reliable genetic evidence. The new definition would essentially eradicate federal recognition of the estimated 1.4 million Americans who have opted to recognize themselves as a gender other than the one they were born into. Hence the problem. Recognizing oneself as something that oneself scientifically and biologically is not. Had an interesting discussion about this yesterday around our dinner table, actually. And sadly, we all knew about what one another was talking about when we said, you know, there's not just females who are trying to say they identify themselves as male, and there's not just males saying that I identify myself as a female, even though biologically, chromosomally, scientifically, I'm not. There are actually people who self-identify as animals and live their lives as such. 
literally saying, I may have been born a human, but I, I identify as a dog. These are people who walk on all fours. These are people who eat down on the ground out of bowls because they really feel they have the spirit of a dog inside of their bodies. Science made a mistake. Nature made a mistake. I'm really a dog trapped in a human body. You know what we call people like this? We call them mentally disturbed. They have a psychological condition. There's something wrong with them psychologically that they don't recognize their humanity. How can it be any different when someone doesn't recognize their biological sex as a male or as a female? And they are calling the Trump administration homophobic for daring to recognize what science proves, that there are only two sexes, there are only two genders, XX or XY, that's it. That's it. Anything and everything else is a psychological condition that should not be aided and abetted, but should be treated. To put it another way, a friend of mine once put it this way, if multiple personality disorders are indeed considered to be disorders, someone with a split personality, someone who, who is one person but thinks they're another person too, right? We don't just say, yeah, we don't say, hi, Steve, and hi, Gretchen, to each of the, to the same person talking to both of their personalities. We refer them for treatment, right? Because you can only be one person. How is it not considered to be a psychological disorder if someone tries to be two different genders? They are male, but they want to be called female. You, 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 it's just like being Steve, but wanting to be called Gretchen. Or multiple personalities don't have to cross genders. Steve, who is also Joe. Steve is a kind and gentle bookworm, and Joe is a, is a mad party animal. Split personalities. We call that psychological disorder or psychiatric disorder. How then can we normalize it if it's by gender? Oh, I'm both male and female. Oh, I'm neither male nor female. I'm non-binary. Or I'm a male, but I feel female sometimes. I'm a female. Sometimes I feel male. These are psychological disorders. And the Trump administration for the purposes of Title IX and civil rights protections, is simply saying, yeah, we're going to go ahead and go with what science has always determined people to be, male or female, based on their chromosomes, based on XY or XX. That's it. The Trump administration isn't the one being radical here. The left, the New York Times, they're the ones being radical, asking us to ignore obvious psychological conditions and to normalize them would it be acceptable for us to normalize and tell the person who thinks they're a dog i read another one somebody identified and lives their life as 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 a dragon never mind the part about dragons not actually existing outside of fables and fairy tales that's what this person believes they are is it okay to say no this person does not have to pay taxes it's not a human this person believes it's a dragon. Treat it as such. Treat him or her as such. No, we wouldn't do that if they thought they were animals, which people do. 
We wouldn't do that if they thought they were fairy tale creatures, which they do, and we cannot treat them as if this is normal if they think there are some sex that they are not either. Uh, to the phones again, John. Sorry about the delay there, John, but you're in South Euclid. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Jeez, uh, I'm confused. I don't know if I'm John or if I'm uh, Gwen. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll work it out, I guess. Um, I, I got a kick out of when you were talking to, I guess, Congressman Jordan about tanks on the border. I'm watching the TV this morning, and that's exactly what I thought. If you lined up a bunch of them, it would have to be some sort of deterrent, but we can't do that. Well, why not? You know, I actually, I actually posted, I tweeted something yesterday, which was a picture of a bunch of snow plows lined up side by side by side by side by side, the width of two roads. And because it reminded me of the caravan, which is coming in in one great big giant, you know, uh, long, uh, long yeah. line, the width of the road. And I just thought, you know what? Okay, we'll meet you at the border. <laughs> we just start going <laughs> forward. And, and obviously, I don't want people to be hurt, but seriously, just plow them away because you cannot allow them to invade this country. Tanks would be a little bit more efficient because they're actually military vehicles, uh, but you understand the point. Yeah, we do have to physically restrain them from getting to our border and thus then, you know, declaring asylum or, or, or requesting asylum because uh, obviously they know the code words to, to be able to exploit our, our weak immigration laws. Well, maybe you just answered the question I was going to have. Now, that row of people, like you said, that massive humanity coming down the road, what if all 7,000 of them come into the illegal port of entry do they all get asylum well if they all if they use the right language they do they they well if they, they don't get asylum if they use the right language and requ- request asylum based on uh right. you know a, yeah, a persecution yeah. or or fear or this or the other of their own government or whatever is going on if they use that right language then what happens is our people at the port they give them a summons and say, okay, you're going to have to come back yeah, and yeah. prove your claim. But the problem is, of course, they give them their summons and then they disappear and they never come back to the tune of yeah, around 80 to 90% yeah. of them. Right. Okay, so, but that would happen if they come through the legal point of entry. Unless correct. Trump comes up with some sort of, you know, plan. That is correct. But, but here's, here's the worst part about it, though, John. The, the, the way the law works is if they come to a legal port of entry, it works the way I just described. But if they try to go around the legal port and just, you know, cross the river or cross a, a border area that is, that is penetrable, they, uh, they do that. Then they're supposed to be just arrested and deported. But we're not deporting them either. We're arresting them and then holding them and in, in, uh, waiting for a de- deportation hearing. And again, because we don't have any place to hold them, because we're overcrowded, guess what happens? Then they get released as well and told to come back later for deportation proceedings. They don't come back, and that's the problem. More coming up right here on AM 1420. See, this is the part that makes me the most upset about this caravan. This is this is the worst part. Listen to this... Uh, uh, this Fox, I think it's a Fox News report. Listen. The group has grown larger, around 7,000 people, many from Honduras, are pressing on despite amnesty offers from the Mexican government and threats from President Trump. Let's stop it right there. I don't need to hear the rest of the report. That was the part I wanted you to hear. One more time. The group has grown larger, around 7,000 people, many from Honduras, are pressing on despite amnesty offers from the Mexican government. Despite what? Around 7,000 people, many from Honduras, are pressing on despite amnesty offers from the Mexican government and...
despite amnesty offers from the Mexican government. This is precisely why, when they get to our ports of entry, we need to slam the door in their face and say, No! No! You may not come in. You were seeking asylum from your home country of Honduras. You are now not in Honduras, you are in Mexico. And Mexico has offered you that asylum. You can stay in Mexico. You are no longer fearing whatever it is that was scaring you in Honduras. The Mexican government says you can stay. You're no longer fearing Honduran um, crime or or poverty or political I don't even know what it is that they're claiming, to be quite honest with you. I'm struggling to find a word. I don't know what they're claiming. They're claiming fear and oppression. Okay, you're no longer in Honduras getting that. You're in Mexico. They've offered to keep you. Despite amnesty offers from the Mexican government. Amnesty offers from the Mexican government. You have no reason. This is proof that they're not seeing. See, that's the thing. Every time one of these families gets to our border, every time, and says, hey, I'm declaring myself an asylum seaker from uh, the, 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 uh, the, um, uh, boy, I'm having a hard time with words this morning. The persecution, I guess, is what I'm trying to say from, uh, from my home country of Honduras. They should say, are you in Honduras now? No. Are you in a country that is offered asylum? Yes. Thank you. Goodbye. You are not, they don't want asylum. They aren't looking for, for amnesty from whatever it is that is causing them problems in their home country. They want the gold standard. They want to invade the United States. And they don't even want to be American when they get here. As they march with their Honduran flags, expressing Honduran pride while fleeing Honduras. Joe in Fairview Park. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, Bob, I have two questions for you regarding this caravan. Sure. Uh, the first question is, who exactly is feeding and sheltering these people on the way up? And shouldn't we be going after that as part of our program and trying to stop it at the source? The second question is, shouldn't we, when these people come up to the border, stop them on the Mexican side? Is it, and as a part of that... Well, uh, we can't do that because that's Mexican. ...responsible for feeding and sheltering them on okay. the way back or until, you know, years in the future they can have a... Uh, a a court appointment uh, date, right? Yeah. To to the part about stopping them on the Mexican side, we can't do that. We can't just put our military on the Mexican side of the border and stop them before they get to our border because that's Mexican sovereignty. That's their land, and we wouldn't let them do that. You know, come to the northern side and and do anything there. So, excuse me. So, uh, we can't do that. But yes, uh, your point is a very good one about who's feeding them, who is providing them those vehicles, because you know they're not walking all of these thousands of miles. They're being taking turns, being driven, and who's responsible and paying for all of that? And I think we know the answer to that. The likes of Tom Steyer and George Soros and Warren Buffett and all of the other ones who are engaging in this ridiculous democratic leftist takeover of America. Ten thirty-one news time. Doctor Beverly Goldstein joins me next right here on AM fourteen twenty. E. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 
Indeed, 1035, the Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again to Congressman Jim Jordan, who joined us last hour. Now, I want to say thank you to Dr. Beverly Goldstein for joining us once again this hour. Dr. Goldstein, of course, is running for Congress in District Number 11 against Marsha Fudge, the incumbent who continues to ignore virtually all of her district's needs. Dr. Goldstein is trying to appeal to these people to show them a better way, and she has a fantastic message that I want to help her get out to the masses. Dr. Goldstein, good to have you back. How are you? Hello. Good morning. I'm glad I got 1035. Then I didn't have to wake up at the break of dawn. <laughs> well, well I'll, I try to be as accommodating as I can, uh, Dr. Goldstein. Can I call you Bev? I've known you as Bev for so long. But I do want people to know that you are indeed a doctor. You are a, 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 a certified audiologist. And uh, so I, I want to give you that that title credit as well. But I've, been known, I've known you as Bev for several years now. So... Um, Bev, let's uh, let's dive right into this, um, and and I want to get into some of Marsha Fudge's responses to some of the things that you are doing as you campaign in a moment. But first, um, can you just kind of give us a, a, a thumbnail sketch of what it is that your goal is with respect to? And this is hard to do because of District 11 being such a strangely diverse district. It include, encompasses some wealthier areas. It encompasses some very, very impoverished uh, inner city areas as well. And you've got plans uh, to help assist and aid all of these very different areas. And that's a very difficult thing to come up with. Um, so can you give us a little overview here of what your goal is for the voters in District uh, Number 11 to to understand before they go to the polls? Well, I think I'll start with the last item I sent you on the list, which I call Congressional Municipality Engagement. We have eight extremely wealthy cities in District 11, and we also have East Cleveland, which is the poorest city in the entire state of Ohio, and we have Cleveland, which is the fourth poorest city in the state of Ohio. So we obviously have very different uh, needs. Uh, to pay attention to at the very top and the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And if you take the school education situation, we seem to always help the gifted kids and we help the kids who have lots of needs, uh, special needs, but the kids in the middle kind of get left out. And I don't want to leave any of my 32 communities out. So one of my goals is uh, through congressional municipal- municipality engagement, would be to have each of my staff members uh, permanently assigned to a group of uh, cities, townships, and villages in the district so that every municipality has a go-to person in my office, and that person would be the same person. So they wouldn't be talking to one person on Tuesday, and then something comes up the following week, and they talk to somebody else. But they would actually have a person on my staff that they would create a relationship with. And the purpose of the relationship would be twofold, to be at the table when there are issues that they feel their federal representatives should be informed about, and also to, um, you know, tweet out and call out positive things that are happening in that community so that people know about them and uh, engage in them, attend them, so that we would go from uh, District 11, where there is essentially no relationship between the office of our current congresswoman with any of her communities, particularly. That doesn't mean she doesn't have 
some personal relationships with individual people, but this would be a more formalized process where we're trying every week to be in touch with our communities. And I think that, and that you have been. I know. I know you have been. I, I, you know, I've been. I've been following your 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 campaign by way of Twitter and updates online and so on and so forth. And I know how much time you're spending with these people. And what I want to know, Bev, is is whether or not you're connecting with them. And especially when we talk about the most at risk communities, you know, it's East Cleveland and the most impoverished parts of of this district. She said, Marsha Fudge said, quote. We have done a significant amount helping our communities, be it Cleveland and Akron and everything in between. She said, we have done a lot about poverty. And yet, as you pointed out, East Cleveland is the poorest city in the state of Ohio. What has she done to alleviate poverty in these in this district and in these more at-risk communities, Bev? Because I'm looking for it, and I don't see any results of it. Well, I don't either. And... As you know, Bob, as we've gone on this journey since 2016, we actually uncovered the fundamental cause, the root cause of our poverty, and that is very, very high illiteracy in the most at-risk neighborhoods. And when, for example, the Opportunity Quarter Project that came in a couple years ago, one of the real goals was to try to employ as many people right in the neighborhoods that were being um, under construction. And it turned out that um, they weren't able to hire a lot of people because people didn't have enough reading skills to be able to get into job training and get a job. I, You know, I run the hearing clinic at Sam's Club in Oakwood Village. If you want to vote, uh, work for Walmart or Sam's, you have to get on the computer and apply. You can't just walk in the door and say, hi, I'm Tommy, and I'd really like to work here. There's mm-hmm. a formal process. So, I mean, employers have told me that if a candidate comes in to apply for a job, and the first question they ask is, can I take this employment application home to fill it out, that is the initial red flag that that person does not read and that person has can essentially disqualified themselves from even applying for that job. And and to be clear, Dr. Goldstein, Dr. Beverly Goldstein is my guest. She is the candidate for District 11, uh, um, which encompasses a lot of Cleveland and a lot of Akron, as she pointed out, a lot of uh, more well-to-do communities as well as some of the poorest communities. So it's really, you know, it takes a lot of work to be able to serve both of those communities. But as it pertains to the poorest communities, you've pointed out frequently that Cleveland has an adult, not not kids, adult illiteracy rate of 66%. If these people can't read, as you pointed out, uh, they can't fill out job applications. So there's two different ways to deal with this. It would appear your way and and Beverly, or excuse me, and uh, Marsha Fudge's way. Marsha Fudge's way is they can't work because they can't read. So let's increase the amount of food stamps that come their way. Uh, she even pointed out in her in her uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer interview uh, that her efforts are to secure funding for things like food stamps and 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 uh, more free lunches uh, for kids and so on and so forth. 
Your answer is no. It's not about just giving them more things uh, to, to allow them to continue to exist without being able to read and thus advance themselves. It's about teaching them to read so that they can get jobs and, 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 and not just survive based on what the government gives them, but thrive based on what they're able to earn for themselves. And that's the difference, I think, here in the approach. One just wants to continue giving them a, a fish, and you want to teach these people how to fish. Uh, I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that we didn't run the research or create the statistics on illiteracy. The illiteracy in East Cleveland is 83%. Actually, it was two years ago that Catherine Kirstenau began talking to me about this issue. Mm-hmm. And then it was end of last year and the beginning of this year that I started to engage in Seeds of Literacy, which is our one small um, adult literacy program that's both on Clark and West 25th Street on the west side, near west side, and on Kinsman on the east side. The tiny little program compared to the massive needs that we have. But they have a great model. They have great success stories. I've met some of the graduates who finished GEDs from their programs. They're going from $9 an hour having two jobs to $22, $24 an hour jobs where they have one job, they're leasing a car, buying a car, they're having a, their own apartment, they're, they're, they're climbing that ladder to get a life. I mean, you, I'm not, you know, one of the things they say about Republicans, oh, you vote for Republicans, man, they're going to pull your subsidies, you're not going to eat, you're not going to have anywhere to live, and this and the other thing, well, my vision is not to take away anything from anybody. Right now, my vision is to identify places where we can begin to put in these reading clinics, create this ladder of success process where the reading clinics flow directly into job training programs where not only are we helping people learn to do their reading, their math, and some basic computer skills, but we're also getting the people to give us an idea of what they would like to do when they're capable of having a job. And we start putting those people, moving them into known job training programs, which there are hundreds of in Northeast Ohio, and then getting tons of employers to agree to sign on to our program that says when we've got people ready out of our program reading and job training, that they will prioritize and try to make room and have opportunities for those people to become their employees that also will be contingent on the state of ohio correcting the problems for ex-felons to be really at risk for being able to work in manufacturing because manufacturing some of the best paying jobs we have in ohio and current employers are under very um difficult situations with regard to whether they will be held liable if a former felon who's done his or her her time is now back out in society, they work in that situation, something occurs that's negative where that individual was involved in the mishap, and all of a sudden there's these huge lawsuits and these huge negligence suits and financial problems. So we're going to need to partner with the General Assembly, the House and the Senate in Ohio to to start making all of this more seamless, all of this more positive, so that we really can get people back to work. If you say, 
We have 88 counties. What county has the most veterans? Cuyahoga County. What county has the most ex-felons? Cuyahoga County. We have the most of lots of at-risk things here. Why don't we say we are that place that's a problem and we are going to start working on these problems? There's so many. I, I can't imagine that I'll have enough people and enough time to engage in everything and we want to be at the table in. Infant deaths is another issue. I want the federal office to be at the table when these plans are coming forward, trying to figure out what are the solutions to reducing infant deaths and especially infant deaths in minority uh, neighborhoods. I feel really put off that with all of my wonderful friendships that I'm creating in all of these really high-at-risk communities where I'm welcome anytime morning, noon, or night, I come in, that Congresswoman Fudge feels like she can say, I'm ill-informed, I'm a homophobe, and I'm a racist. Really? I'm not any of those things. I'm working really hard every day to try to get elected, to try to make our community a really better place to live. People can get out of here and leave. Dr. Beverly Goldstein is my guest. Uh, Bev, I'm going to take a quick time out here, and we'll come back and try to get in another question or two on the back side uh, of the traffic report. It's 1048. Dr. Goldstein, right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Five eight five zero. All right, 1052, now the Bob France Authority <clears throat> continues. Got a few good minutes left with Beverly Goldstein, who is the um, Republican challenger to Marsha Fudge in District Number 11, uh, which is a very, very uh, widely diverse district, as I noted before. It includes some wealthy communities, some impoverished communities, and obviously the focus uh, is going to be on a lot of the impoverished communities, or at least it should be, because Marsha Fudge carries those and has for the last 10 years that she has been in Congress since she succeeded Stephanie Tubbs-Jones. And that's what, Beverly, you need to, to break through. So I want to ask you, because race is a component in that, sadly, and uh, you, you noted very briefly in your comments a few moments ago that uh, uh, the uh, Fudge campaign has declared you to be homophobic and racist, in large part due to a tweet that you had uh, sent off uh, in response to the uh, Cuyahoga County Council approving this Civil Rights Commission to provide uh, uh, punishment and penalties for people who uh, allegedly um, discriminate against people in the LGBT community. Here's what you wrote. Awful outcome, HRC to, uh, HRC to be created. Must launch effective legal challenge. Shout out, Hubby Michael testified. Outcome directly tied to Cleveland's 66% adult illiteracy. If CCC had literate inner city church attending black voters following this issue, entirely opposite outcome. She declared that to be racist because you talked about the illiteracy of a lot of the black voters uh, in Cuyahoga County, and it's, race, and it's also homophobic because you oppose the creation of this commission, which I do as well. And it's not about homophobia or anything else. It's about uh, 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 justice, essentially, for employers and so on. But, Bev, I want to give you a chance to respond to those allegations of racism and homophobia from the Fudge campaign. Well, you know, when Democrats don't have anything uh, positive to bring forward, uh, throughout the country, throughout the nation right now, all it is is name-calling. It's like fifth grade or third grade or something. You know, it's na-na-na-na-na. Well, 
okay, I'm a healthcare provider. This is how we solve problems in healthcare. We really figure out what the problem is. If you have a cold and Jim has cancer and I give you the chemotherapy, he's going to die. Okay, we need to identify what are the problems. Do you think that young black single moms who send their kids to the public schools in Cleveland had any idea that the the county council was coming forward with this game-changing resolution for the entire county affecting schools, affecting businesses, affecting churches? Did, did, Did an average inner city person get called up by their county council member to say, hey, I'm going to vote in favor of this? No, this got rammed through, and I ended up a few weeks later running into Miss Conwell at a candidate forum, and she came over. I mean, I've kind of put this aside because this is going to have to be fought. I ran into her, and she told me they were too busy to keep working on it. They have other issues that they have to move forward on now. I said, you should have never, ever voted on this, even though it was the third reading. You should have never, ever voted on this until more people could have been informed and your constituents and other county council people's constituents would have really known what the outcome of this vote would be. And she looked at me and she said, well, we spent a lot of time on it, and we really just had to move on. We've got other issues coming forward. We had to just move. You know, we were in favor of it, and we moved forward. And I said, basically, you were in favor of it, and you moved forward on it, but you rolled over. Uh, Most people in this county would not want that to become an ordinance. And so um, we. it was a nice conversation. Neither of us got heated or anything, but... um, I'm not stepping away from my my viewpoint. Young girls, especially in at-risk neighborhoods, should not fear to be going into bathrooms because they will have no idea who's in there once they get in to go to a bathroom. We're going to have to start having buddy systems where people take each other into the bathroom and stuff. This is really weird stuff, Bob. You're exactly right. And and whatever happens in there is never going to be known because you can't videotape in a bathroom. So it's not like, you know, like, you know, buddy system, you come in and you have your, your phone recorder going so that if somebody is attacking, you have proof and you don't have to worry about, you know, he said, she said kind of thing. So I agree wholeheartedly. It, it just needs to be something that needed to be thought out better. And I agree with you also. I don't think the general public in Cuyahoga County was very well informed on it, either because of illiteracy or disinterest, either way. But you were right to make the point that for people to make better decisions about the way they are governed, about way, about, you know, rules that are, or laws that are passed, committees that are formed, et cetera, et cetera, um, people need to be better informed about that. And they can't be very well when they can't even read the language, the language of that particular, um, uh, ordinance or, or or whatever it is that we're calling the co-creation of that commission, the language of that was very important. And if you can't read, then you're right. Then you essentially are, uh, you know, you're out of luck and you, you can't express support or opposition to that. And that's something that the leaders need to be um, uh, very cognizant of. Bev, I've got about a minute and a half left for you to make a final statement for uh, f- uh, to our audience here. Tell voters of District 11 uh, one final time why, and not one final time, we'll talk again before November 6th, but for today, uh, why this is so important important that they vote for you it's important to vote for me because i'm going to actually change northeast ohio over time 
with lots of people helping, and we're going to set a tone to the country where people in other difficult districts can look to us and say, if they can do that in Cleveland and Akron, we can do it here in this city or that city. So we can be leaders in our community, and we can set the tone for the country. Um, I have a website, Bob, www.beverlythenumberforcongress.com. On that website, you can click a button to donate. We really need more money, please. And you can uh, click a button to volunteer. If you really want to know what Dr. Bev is thinking and doing, follow us on Twitter. There's tweets every day about where I am, who I'm with, what I'm thinking about. When we meet special needs, we either inconvenience people, we um, offend people, or we endanger people. Those are the three levels. We need well, Bev, to pay real Doc, Dr. Bev, I've... I want to echo that. I want to make sure people know it's Beverly for Congress, Beverly, and then the number four congress.com so that you can find that and absolutely donate to her. If you can find $5, donate it to her. She is very badly out, uh, being outspent by uh, Marsha Fudge, and she is deserving of our support. Dr. Goldstein, thanks very much. We'll talk again soon. Mike Gallagher's next. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.